You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and with me as always is Christopher Parr, director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hello. Slightly dejected there. If that's a sign of how things are going to go from now on, that's fine. (laughs) Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week, and he's going to share them with us today. So, Chris, what's the Institute been up to? We are, of course, in the midst of a second lockdown, but um, we are all already working from home, so it's not too big a problem. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, as I say, I'm always working from home. I don't have an office, but, you know, it probably feels a bit more disenfranchised for you than it does for me. But, you know, it's nice to have your telly on while you're working. I don't own a, a telly, as you put it. Oh, what do you do for fun? I research facts. This is your fun. I do still make the occasional trip back to the the offices to get more facts. You mentioned during our Halloween episode the uh, uh, going down to the basement where you keep the old facts. I think maybe one day we could have have a have a run through of uh, some of your favourite old facts that may or may not be true anymore. Well, would the facts not be true anymore? Well, because because they they might they might not be. Things change. Uh, give me an example of a, a fact that might not be true anymore. Um. Um, well, it was something that might have been disproven later on that you, you had as a fact and now isn't a fact. Oh, so now we're talking epistemology. Gesundheit, but yes. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking and just introduce the best fact. <laughs> well, let's start the show then, shall we, Chris? What have you got for our first fact? Tesco commissioned the world's largest burger patty. Right, okay. Well, there have been quite literally tons of world records broken by food companies toting the largest of any given food stuff. In 2013, the world's largest chicken nugget was made by Empire Kosher, coming in at over 23 kilos. Chocolate makers Thornton's made the largest ever chocolate bar in 2013, which weighed almost 6,000 kilos and was eaten by one small six-year-old girl after being told she wasn't allowed. But I've not heard of a supermarket bringing a similar offering. What's the story? So Tesco's patty was another salvo in the sometimes hot war between the supermarket chain and its rival, Asda. You might remember that the two retailers fought a four-day skirmish in a Bradford retail park back in 2001. That's true. So this is a a continuation of that story almost. It is. So 17 years later, in 2018, Tesco commissioned the prodigious patty in retaliation for Asda creating the UK's longest sausage the previous year. Oh, okay. So Asda did a a world record food thing and Tesco were like, well, do you know what? If they've got that and we haven't, then we should do something too. So they did a burger. How how big was the burger? Um, It was quite large. Um, It had to be constructed in the Lake District as the area offers a lot of flat land ideal for making big food and it ended up being 200 meters in diameter weighed over 50 tons and it took 10 days and 30 people to make wow that is some serious burger was it just the patty then or did anyone put any cheese on it it's just it sounds it sounds big but it's not that exciting it was just a massive patty Okay, well, I mean, you've got your nice surroundings of the Lake District, I suppose, to enjoy while you're eating your giant, massive burger. 
So the, I'm guessing this wasn't on a lake or anything. This was in on the on the land. It was on the land. It wasn't a a nautical burger, a crabby patty. No. <laughs> what type of burger was it though? Is it a vegan burger? No, um, it was a meat burger. It's estimated that over 500 cows had to die to make the big burger. Wow. Seriously? Seriously, yeah. Though the cosmic scales were slightly tipped towards balancing when two people died making the patty. How did they die? Cows are the people. Well, now both. I meant the people, but the cow- find the cows as well. The cows were slaughtered by the agricultural industrial complex, which is propping up the corrupt system of global capitalism and destroying the environment. I see. The people were crushed under tons of minced beef. Great. Well... <laughs> which I feel is kind of their own fault for building a massive meat mound out of the dead flesh of sentient creatures. It may may or may not be their own fault, but it's it's easily well deserved. <laughs> so I'm guessing the 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 offending burger in question was uh, once it was made was it was it eaten by the spectators? No, um, it wasn't actually. When the humongous hamburger was completed, it transpired that its superlative size, as well as local bylaws forbidding open flames, made it impossible to actually cook the burger. What? So this is just like, hang on, 50 tonnes of just raw meat in British countryside? Yeah, because there's, you know, no point in murdering hundreds of cows unless you can burn them afterwards. The world's largest patty was just abandoned in the Lake District. Wait, is it still there now? It's actually been declared an environmental disaster. That's unsurprising. It's effectively massive amounts of rotting carcass in the English countryside, is this giving off some... Is, you say it's an environmental disaster. Is, is this giving off noxious gases that... I mean, what's what's happening here? Are, are people dying or...? Well, it's a huge 50-tonne pile of rotting meat. And that has an effect on surroundings. I mean, there's maggots and flies. There's scavengers. Well, at least someone's eating it. It's completely disrupted the local ecosystem. Okay, so so it sounds like this was a disaster for Tesco and for wildlife. Do, do they at least get some tourism out of it in the Lake District? Can people go visit the uh, rotting carcass of flesh? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just sat there in the Lake District. The real question, Piper, is why would anyone want to visit a giant pile of rotting meat and all its attendant maggots and flies and stench? I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of um, scientific knowledge we can gain from such a giant amount of meat, uh, from a giant meat mounting rotting in the in the in the fields of England. Uh, what kind of scientific knowledge could you gain from that? Well, I mean, I'm not a scientist, Chris. Go on. No, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know the answer. But like, I'm sure. I'm sure that. I'm sure that if if there are scientists out there, that they there's something that they could glean from this. It's a one-off event. There's nowhere else this is happening, is there? Such a large amount of rotting meat somewhere in the countryside, like maybe maybe the life cycle of maggots. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's easier ways of studying the life cycle of maggots, like you know, in the laboratory where the scientists live. <laughs> yeah, where the scientists live. <laughs> 
All right. Well, fine. Okay. So I'm just trying to get some sort of usefulness out of this and see if that there's some, there could possibly be some, some reason for all these cows to die apart from horrible, violent war between supermarket chains. But ju- just generally, what's this mad obsession with giant versions of food products? Is there any justification here for killing so many cows for literally nothing? I think in terms of the the big food, I think people like having the the biggest and the best version of a thing, like Trump and his, his tower. That's true, yeah, yeah. But not everybody has a mixed-use skyscraper, but lots of people have food. That's very true, yeah. Okay, so I mean, this is uh, just a, a, a culmination of, of happenings that means that this is likely to happen over and over again. Uh, there's also a sense of community in getting together with other people to make a giant sausage or crumpet or whatever. Yeah, it's sort of like a, like a bake sale, but way sillier and and a good chance that no one's going to eat any actual food and it's just going to go to waste well it's like the reverse of a bake sale because in a bake sale you make the cake already and then you sell it to people but in this case you're getting together to make one big thing surely the opposite of a bake sale would be to throw money at people and steal the food from their stomachs well no the opposite would be to pay people to vomit Yes, I think I've heard of that sport in Japan, actually. I think that is a thing already. It's the weirdest strip club I've ever been to. (laughs) So uh, you mentioned that this this basically destroyed part of the British landscape and it's not been great for the wildlife or the people living in, in, in the Lake District. Are there any other environmental disasters caused by capitalism that we know of, Chris? Um, all of them. Oh, I guess, I guess. I mean, environmental disasters are anthropogenic as opposed to natural disasters, which are natural. And the vast majority of environmental disasters are perpetrated in the name of capitalism. You know, like the Exxon Valdez spill or Deepwater Horizon or the Great Pacific Garbage Patch or burning of the Amazon rainforest. Are there any environmental disasters that we know of that aren't caused by capitalism? <laughs> That's a very good question, Piper. Um, hmm. Let me think. Was there a time when capitalism didn't completely fuck up the environment? Hmm. You know what? I'm going to have to set the institute on this because I really can't think of anything. Oh, there's got to be something. You can't blame capitalism for everything. Worked for the communists. Okay, that brings us on to our second fact of the show. What have we got here, Chris? Popes have received some very unusual gifts. Okay, so the Supreme Pontiff is traditionally revered by people the world over, Catholic or not. We know that gifts are a part of this tradition, but often these are kept private. What do we know, Chris? So the Catholic Church is, unfortunately, a global organisation. And as such, popes travel the world and visit Catholic countries or communities. And they're often given gifts on these visits, usually something related to wherever he's visiting or that's made in that place. And sometimes these gifts are a a little strange. Okay, well, that makes sense. So if it was Australia, for example, they might give the Pope a didgeridoo or something like that. What are the more unusual gifts he's received then? 
when Pope John Paul II uh, visited the Polish town of Milena, uh, he was gifted a showerhead, which are manufactured in the factory outside the town. A showerhead? A showerhead. A showerhead. A showerhead. Right. Yes, the head of a shower, the bit where the water comes out. Right, okay. Well, my water comes out all bits in my shower, but that's because it's broken. So the people of Milena decided when the Pope arrived, you know, well, he's great, he's, he's fine, he's all right, he's a good Pope, he's, he's, he's good at Pope stuff. We're going to give him a really special, special gift. Do you know what? He's got money, he's probably got all the, all the white sheets for clothes that he could possibly want. He's got a car that, that's bulletproof. What could he possibly want? You know what? He's probably not got a shower. <laughs> so they gave him a shower head. Do you know if he used it, Chris? Um, I mean, probably not. I mean, like, first of all, I don't think they gave him the shower head because they didn't think he had one. It was like a symbolic thing. It's like, this is what we do in this town. No, it's symbolic. So they didn't even actually give him a real shower head. No, they gave him the shower head. It's just the gifting of the shower head was, you know, this is what we do in our town. So we're gifting it to you. Anyway, did he use the shower head? <laughs> probably not. Um, he probably has, well, had his own shower head, a gold-plated shower head, probably. Has a priest to bless the water tank so it shoots out holy water. But actually, it would be easier to bless the shower head first so that it automatically turns the water into holy water. Why does he need holy water for a shower? He's the Pope. He needs to be all holied up. Otherwise, God won't talk to him. It sounds like what you're suggesting here, Chris, is it's the shower that makes him able to talk to God. Well, no, it's just that God likes to talk to clean people. So actually, actually like a shower head is probably quite an important part of the Pope's day-to-day -day routine if he wants to be talking to God all the time, if he's got to be super clean. And, and not just clean, holy, holy and clean. Fair enough. Well, I feel like we've possibly done the whole showerhead thing to death. What about uh, what about other countries in the world? What else has he got? The Puerto Rican town of Santa Jimena gave Pope Francis a taxidermied chupacabra. A chupacabra? Yeah, the goat-sucking cryptid whose first supposed sighting was in Puerto Rico. Yeah, no, no, no. And I, I mean, I'm exclaiming because it's it's a strange thing. It's not that I don't know what it is. We've all seen the X-Files. So they, they taxidermied a chupacabra and gave it to the Pope. Yeah, um, it's not an actual chupacabra. The residents of Santa Jimena make the chupacabras out of various like bits of dead animals, like lizards and birds and fish. And export oh, them like, as uh, souvenirs. Sort of like when they make um, remains of mermaids and it turns out it's been like a, a fish and a lizard or whatever. Uh, you mean the one that was a monkey and uh, a fish stitched together? That actually makes more sense, yes. Because yeah, what would it be, a lizard and a fish? What kind of fucking mermaids are you looking at? <laughs> you haven't lived till you've seen a, a lizard fish cross mermaid thing, Chris. It's, it's his own category on Pornhub. It's the whole thing. Um... <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what? So this town in Puerto Rico, they're famous for making chupacabras or fake chupacabras because chupacabras are real and this isn't an actual chupacabra, obviously, because they make them from parts of dead animals. Okay, fair enough. That's what they're known for. So they gave the Pope. How did he react? Did he like it? He was very polite when he was given the taxidermies chupacabra. I can't speak to his private reaction because I'm not Pope Francis. 
Oh, can you imagine that? It's just like, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're wonderful. Yes. Thank you, Puerto Ricans. That's great. Well, I don't know what it is, but yes, I'm very happy for it. Thank you. And he goes back in his little Pope mobile and he talks to the driver and he goes, fuck is this? Fuck is this? This, it smells really weird. <laughs> oh, I hope he does swear in private. Oh, I really do. I mean, in my head, there is only one Pope because I, I I never remember what, what he used to look like. He just kind of looks like the Pope, you know? I mean, it might I, as I well be one guy because they're all, you know, old white guys. Basically the same person each time. Obviously, a taxidermy chupacabra is a bit weird, but can we go stranger? I think we can. When Pope Benedict XVI visited the Ecuadorian town of Chirapa, he was given a pornographic VHS tape. Right, a pornographic VHS tape, right? So so this is the Pope, right? The Pope, the Catholic Pope of Catholic fame. That's what he's best of, known for, yeah. He's, yeah. The guy that, that that is the human being's only connection to God as per Catholic tradition. Primary connection to God, not not only. I mean, you've got the Virgin Mary and some of the other saints and stuff, but like this this is this is what I'm saying is he's pure, he's, he's, he's sacred, he's important, he's important in a religious way. What were they thinking giving him porn? Well, as I've said, a lot of these gifts are things to do with the towns or things produced in the towns. And Chirapa is Ecuador's porno capital. Yeah, fine, but did the Chiropodists not... Chiropodists! You know what, I genuinely didn't mean to say that. The Chirapans, did the Chirapans not think... Probably shouldn't give him porn. Probably shouldn't. I mean, the town produces about 90% of the country's smut. So, you know, it seemed fairly, fairly reasonable. And it wasn't just any porno, Piper. What was it? The film gifted to Pope Benedict XVI was actually specially made for his visit. Um, Its English title is Papal Pounding. (laughs) So it was specially made for the Pope. I'm sure he was very nice about it, but I, I'm, I'm guessing he just sort of handed it to one of his priests gingerly and never saw it again. Did he? Did, do we know if he viewed his custom-made porn? I mean, we've got no way of knowing, obviously. And even if he did watch Papal Pounding, he wouldn't exactly tell anyone. He's not going to walk into Sunday Mass one morning and say, hey guys, I just watched a porno. <laughs> the tape has probably just been added to the huge collection of pornography that the Vatican definitely has. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. So, I mean, you know, what I'm going to ask Chris: Have we ever given him anything weird? Uh, we have, in a move somewhat similar to that of the Ecuadorian town of Chirapa, uh, when Pope Benedict visited the UK in 2010. He was given the complete box set of the Carry On films. The Carry On films, as in, uh, you know, Carry On Up the Kyber, Carry On Camping. Oh my God, he was giving Carry On Camping. I don't know why I'm shocked at this. He was giving his own custom porn as well by the Ecuadorians. But the, the gifting did cause a little controversy, not because of the, the, the series' feigned dirty humour, but because the box set included the film Carry On Henry, about Henry VIII who obviously left the Catholic Church and he could get a bunch of divorces. That's possibly more controversial than the pornography. I I understand. I understand. So, Chris. Yeah. 
So theoretically, if you were to meet the Pope and, you know, shake his hands after the pandemic, obviously you don't want to give the Pope COVID-19. No, no one wants that. Please don't kill the Pope, Chris. But oh. if you were to meet... I know, I know. But if you, were, if you were to meet the Pope, what would the Institute give him as a gift? I mean, providing I got to meet the Pope, we're not exactly on the, the best of terms with the Vatican, are we? But with my unauthorised broadcasting of a passage from the jealously guarded sequel to the Bible, the Holy Bible Part 2, the further and contemporary teachings and adventures of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, Son of God, Messiah, etc. Yes, I remember. So if we ever did give a gift to the Pope, I think we would give him finger puppets. <laughs> Finger puppets based on the Holy Trinity. Father, the oh, Son, and well. the Holy Ghost. <laughs> like the Father, well. God would be easy, just a, a guy with a white beard. Jesus, also easy, just a guy with a brown beard. Holy Ghost, even easier, just no finger puppet at all, because he's invisible. <laughs> um, I could also... So like, tell the Pope, I've got three finger puppets for you. And he'd be like, brilliant, I love finger puppets. Um, and then I'd give him just one finger puppet. He'd be like, how come there's only one? And I'd say, well, yeah, there's one, but there's also three. And it either, either, he'll go, ah, and you'll go, ah, like with High finger five. guns. <laughs> <Three>. <laughs> and or, or he'll just go, you fucking prick. Okay, that brings us on to our third fact of the show. What have we got for this one, Chris? Bob Hope and Bing Crosby made a Godzilla film. Godzilla? Godzilla. <laughs> well, Godzilla first appeared in Ishiro Honda's 1954 film of the same name and has since been remade around 35 times. Hope and Crosby made a number of movies together, but I've not heard of their Godzilla film, Chris. So as you say, the original Godzilla, or Gojira, to give its actual Japanese name, was uh, released in 1954 and Americanized in 1956 as Godzilla, King of the Monsters, exclamation mark, with a dialogue dubbed into English and an American actor edited into pivotal scenes. This led to a number of collaborations between various Hollywood studios and Toho, the Japanese studio which produced Godzilla. So what other sort of films came out of that? The most famous is probably uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, in which the American Kong predictably does battle with Godzilla. There was also Abbott and Costello meet Mothra, in which the comedy duo encounter the insectoid kaiju. And, of course, an entry in Bob Hope and Bing Crosby's popular Road 2 series of films called Road to Tokyo. Whoa, okay. So what happened in Road to Tokyo then? Um, it was made in 1964, and it featured Hope and Crosby travelling to Tokyo and meeting a rampaging Godzilla, as he is wont to do. But instead of rampaging for the normal reasons, woken up by atomic bomb blasts, uh, destruction of his habitat, or, you know, just for a laugh, Godzilla is rampaging because the lady Godzilla he likes has rejected him. Right. Holy American, obviously. Brilliant. Love that. And what happens in the end? 
Well, as any patriotic American would do in such a situation, helping Crosby help Godzilla get the girl Godzilla the only way they know how. Musical numbers and slapstick comedy. And in the That's process, great. they save Tokyo. Okay, great. I mean, it sounds like saving Tokyo is a sideline. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is wholly Americanized. It's not like an overdubbing or, or like a... Uh, like a reimagining this has musical numbers this has actual american comedy it sounds like there's romance involved and action a bit of saving you know saving 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 places that aren't america you know oh they love doing that don't they let's let's go to another country as americans and save the lives of an entire city as if they'd do that in real world (laughs) This, this this film sounds fascinating, if nothing else, just as a piece of history. Can we hear a bit of it? So obviously the most interesting aspect of the Road 2 films was the songs, but I won't read out any of the lyrics from the songs from Road to Tokyo because they are full of, uh, shall we say, unfortunate cultural illusions. I see. So despite the fact that um, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby save Tokyo, in the film, it is possibly quite insulting to the culture of Japan, uh, Japanese people at the time. <laughs> okay, well, do you have anything for us? The film's climax, so to speak, does bear some describing. The film uses the age-old trick of substituting dancing for sex, so that when Godzilla and Lady Godzilla get together at the end, they share a dance, at the end of which a baby Godzilla pops out oh okay (laughs) and this could very well be the origin of godzilla's son manila who would appear in later films manila yeah that's the name of godzilla's son is it right now i i i there is no way i can humorously relate that to the envelope company so i'm going to move on (laughs) is that really the name of okay um (laughs) i mean the original japanese is manira but it's been anglicized obviously Right, okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, supposed to make it sound more like Godzilla, like Godzilla Manila. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like a really sense. weird rapper. Godzilla Manila. <laughs> 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 wow, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Chris, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, so they, they had these series of films, the Road 2 films. Apart from Godzilla, did they produce any other weird out there films that the listener might not be aware of? There are a couple of strange ones. There was Road to the Moon, which featured an actual road going to the moon. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so it was less figurative, more let's just drive to the moon. Well, it was the 60s. They were into that kind of thing. There was also Road to London, uh, which was a time travel film in which the pair went back to Victorian London and met Mickey Rooney's Jack the Ripper, who they convinced to stop murdering prostitutes by uh, doing, uh, guess what? Is it a sing and dance number? Musical numbers and a slapstick comedy. Yes! Fuck yeah! I mean, they know what works, don't they? They're not stupid. They've got their their thing, their MO. they, They know what gets results. Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, they could they could have stopped World War Two. Should we just give them a time machine and just get them get them to sort it with like song and dance? What, so go back like and song. stop Hitler from 
invading Poland with a a musical number and some slapstick comedy. Exactly, exactly. I feel like that would make a great film. I'm amazed they haven't done it already, to be honest. Well, they are both dead, so... Oh. Well, maybe, Chris, maybe... I mean, I haven't mentioned this to you before, but maybe we could be a comedy duo. Okay. We could, like, pick up where they left off. I mean, I mean, I know you're not really into comedy. You're into cold, hard facts. But, you know... We've got we've got some good banter going sometimes. I feel like, you know, maybe like you could be the fall guy. That would make sense, wouldn't it? The fall guy? Yeah, you know, the in comedy there's like the Alan Davis, the the one that's the stupid one. I'm 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 intimating that I couldn't possibly be the stupid one. That's funny. Oof. Uh maybe not. So, Chris. Yeah. Does the Institute think that the addition of slapstick comedy and musical numbers improved the concept of Godzilla? Well, slapstick comedy did make its way into a lot of uh, the, like the what you'd call domestic Godzilla films. And though this was part of the broader tradition in Japan of producing tonal variations of properties, I'm sure the Americans would like to take credit for it. And as for musical numbers... I'm sure there are people who would argue that they improve everything. I mean, everyone likes a a musical episode. That's true. That's true. And these guys clearly get results with their musical numbers, don't they? They save entire cities. Yeah. And London prostitutes. In my head, Canon, they stopped the fucking Second World War. Um, I'm obviously here for this. I think it's I think it's a great concept. Yeah. Well, I mean, I already have my own opinions on this. I think that uh, I don't really enjoy action films at all. So if you add slapstick comedy and musical numbers to any any action film, it's going to improve it tenfold. It's just better in it, especially if it's like that that tap dancing thing people do. Tap dancing. That's what it's called. If they do that, it's uh, it's just it's more fun. So like Die Hard, but with tap dancing. Okay, that brings us on to our fourth and final fact of the show. What's this one, Chris? A national competition has found Britain's most offensive pub name. So, favourite fact of the show, first off. Uh, But Britain has a long history of rude-sounding road names, place names, surnames, and of course pub names. It makes sense that we'd want to rank some of these. So, let's get into this fact, Chris, because I I love it already. There are several well-known, humorously rude pub names. Names like the Cock Inn, the Cock and Bull, the Dandy Cock, Fighting Cocks. You know, all the cocks. All the cocks, yes. But uh, Camera, the campaign for Real Ale, uh, the British organisation which supports traditional British pubs, wanted to find the most genuinely offensive pub name. Okay, yeah, fair enough. So I'm guessing like the top ranking mucky pub names were better than the ones you've mentioned, like Cock and Bull, Dandy Cock. They're fairly like, you know, when you're driving along in the car and you're going through a country lane and you're like, oh, there's a pub. Huh, cock. It's a small amount of merriment that you find from it. I, I'm guessing like the higher ranking stuff is a bit more high octane. <laughs> high octane pub names. <laughs> high octane, dirty pub names. It's edge of your seat stuff. Yeah. Yes, so the eventual shortlist had some stiff competition. Names like The Old Bitch, a pub whose sign features an elderly female dog having a little snooze. Well, okay, it sounds kind of wholesome now you've said it. (laughs) feel kind of bad for laughing. Okay. There is the Come Inside My Friends. 
Uh, which is supposed to be a, a welcoming, friendly name, but which is unfortunately missing a crucial comma. Right. Okay. I see. I see. I see how that's that's happened. And the Stiff Dick, which is a pub in York, close to where the notorious highwayman Dick Turpin was hanged. <laughs> All wonderfully hilarious and extremely British, of course. Who was the winner? The obvious winner was, of course, the hairy cunt. The hairy cunt? Uh, yes. So the pub was established in 1523 and was supposed to be named the Hairy Count after a local Hirschute nobleman. But the original sign featured the now famous typo, a typo which has been reproduced, purposefully or not, on every sign since. Can I take a moment to uh, thank the uh, inventor of the podcast, Mr J Podcast, for uh, allowing us to not censor a single thing that we do. You you opened the floodgates last. Was it the last podcast or the podcast we did before, where you just dropped a C bomb, and now and you feel like? Do you just feel like you could just do what you want now, Chris? Yeah, I feel liberated. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so it was a typo, it was a mistake, but they're keeping it going because Britain is the hairy cunt uh, family pub. Um, it is. Children are welcome in the pub, and it's even a children's menu. Uh, the hairy counts hairy kids menu. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Obviously, well deserved win there, Chris, from the hairy cunt. Does the institute think there might be a correlation between the muckiness of the pub name and its popularity among punters, though? Well, everyone calls it the hairy count as per its actual name. Everyone? I bloody wouldn't. Well, the reason why so many pubs are named after simple images like the Red Lion or the White Heart is because back in the history times, most people were illiterate and would know a pub by the picture on the sign. So most people couldn't actually read the sign saying the hairy cunt. We'd just see the sign with a picture of the hairy count. And so we'd call it the hairy count on account of the picture of the proliferous aristocrat. That being said, of course, the muckiness of the name, as you put it, has garnered the pub a level of notoriety that has allowed it to stay open for almost 500 years. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can read now and, you know, popularity among punters in the 21st century might differ from that of those in like the, the 1600s where... 15, 1600s where, where, where like they may or may not have been able to read. And it was, like you say, it was, it was done on, you know, they were, they were reading the name of the pub based on the picture involved. And, and I think my question is really, you know, now do you think that these pubs are popular because they're dirty? <laughs> because the name is mucky. A Slovenian philosopher, Slavoj Žižek, talks about the way in... Uh, Lacanian psychoanalysis, the superego creates this tension between uh, what we know to be right and what we know to be wrong and how there's almost a pleasure in doing what's wrong while still like, giving the impression of doing what's right. And I think these pub names play into that because like, everybody calls it the hairy count while acknowledging privately that it's actually the hairy cunt. Okay, fair enough. Well, if the Institute ever opened a pub, what would you call it, Chris? Um, 
Maybe uh, the chicken and cube. Why? Oh, uh, because of our research on chickens and cubes. Oh, like like the name of this podcast. That's very clever. Or, or maybe uh, the two-headed lizard. Like Orthrus. Uh The giant tardigrade. Well, obviously, that's my favourite. Uh, the stupid scar baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the toilet ghost. The toilet ghost, yes. Uh, how about just the ocelot? <laughs> uh, the Viking puppy. Uh, the clown and egg. Uh, the communist cock. Well, I wasn't expecting you to have such a... <laughs> Such a plethora of responses, but um, well, now obviously I want to open a pub with you. That sounds great. Several pubs. It could be a chain, a chain of Munchausen pubs with fat base beers, thoroughly researched real ale. I bloody would be real ale as well, you pretentious wanker. Are there any um, other companies registered accidentally under a rude name like the Hairy Cunt? I mean, there's there's loads. Uh, so, uh, you know how in America, Willie is just a name rather than an immature yet hilarious euphemism for penis? I'm aware of this fact, yes. So there's an ice cream shop called Willie's Tasty Cream. <laughs> there is a construction company owned by a Mr. King called Wayne King Erection Specialist. <laughs> His slogan is, I take care of your erection. (laughs) And there is a music school for children with a special focus on bowed instruments called Kitty Fiddlers. Okay, that's it. You've been listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes with me, Piper Dawes. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. I can be found on Twitter at Trilby Norton and the Institute can be found at Muin Photo Ray Ray, which is obviously M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. And you can contact the podcast on Twitter at C-Cubes. That's S-W-C-U-B-E-S and Facebook and Instagram at Chickens Can't See Cubes. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Chickens Can't See Cubes. And remember, you probably could make it up, but we haven't. Honest. And we'll catch you once again on next week's show. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. I've not seen Die Hard. <laughs> it's got a snake in it, hasn't it? A snake? No, Snape. Oh, Snape. There's <laughs> a snake. I um, yes, it has Alan Rickman in, yes. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, the, Alan, uh, the Alan Rickman man. The Alan Rickman man. <laughs> Is that a, a superhero with the power of Alan Rickman? <laughs> One day I was working in the Alan Rickman factory when I fell in a vat of Alan Rickman. <laughs> 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 Now I have the power of Alan Rickman. I am Alan Rickman, man.